only want to look at you. Don't make your beauty pay per view. Cause daddy wouldn't know what to do. And he'd just do nothing. I'm always at a loss for words. Always struggling to understand hers. I always cut my love up into thirds and leave you with nothing. I don't wanna wear no muzzle. I don't wanna cause no trouble. I don't wanna have to struggle with the truth. Hello, everyone, and greetings from Marietta. I am uh, on top of the Strand Theater. My name is Seth Weiner. I am your Rocktioneer, and you've joined us for another Coffee Connections. Uh, I said I'm here today. I'm actually representing the Fox Theater for a big check ceremony, uh, Fox Theater Institute at the Strand Theater, again, located in beautiful Marietta. So it's different to be outdoors, uh, but I'm, I'm quite enjoying being outdoors, although tech, you know, there's some technical things that we have to uh, uh, get over so hopefully everything goes smoothly which i believe it will now today uh today's guest uh let me go ahead and pull up some information on uh, today's guest we're talking with the gateway center here in atlanta we're going to be talking to their chief executive officer Raphael holloway now Raphael is uh he's been in the business for a while he joined gateway center july of 2016 as their chief executive officer officer excuse me mr holloway is an accomplished leader with 20 plus years of experience in the social service arena specializing in behavioral health correction homelessness and public health sectors he has displayed a strong nonprofit and state government business acume and understands how to change when change is hard which is definitely a very popular subject right now. Mr. Holloway is a proven professional with expertise in motivating human resources and aligning multiple groups with divergent objectives and priorities towards a common goal. It's uh, with great pleasure to talk to him today. So ladies and gentlemen, big internet round of applause. Welcome to the show, Raphael. How are you? I'm doing excellent. Thank you for having me today, sir. Oh, it's, man, it's my pleasure. I'm, I've been excited to talk with you and... Um, I'm happy to have you here. Uh, so it is Coffee Connections, and we always start with a little coffee talk. Do you happen to have a coffee mug with you? I happen to have my handy-dandy cup with me this afternoon. Now, Emma, I, I'm, I, I know that doesn't stand for Mickey Mouse. So what, what do, <laughs> Well, I don't know. Some, some of our critics may say we have a Mickey Mouse team right now, well. but <laughs> it stands for the University of Michigan. I grew up in Toledo, Ohio, and split some time um, with family in Detroit. And so Toledo is a border city, and you're either an Ohio State fan or a Michigan fan. I've been a Michigan fan since I was a kid, so it's always go blue no matter what the outcome is. All right. Well, when it comes to coffee, do you drink your coffee blue? I do not. Actually, I'm a, I, I guess people tell me I cheat on coffee stuff because – I'm really an iced coffee. I'm not a coffee drinker. I'm more of a tea drinker. And if I drink coffee, I'll do the iced coffee, which my coffee fanatics here in the office shun me often when I show up with iced coffee. Well, but then if you tell them that it's a slow, cold brewed, you know, slow, cold brewed, you know, organic pressed, et cetera, et cetera, you'll be fine. Exactly. Exactly. Double shot of caramel versus espresso. You know, that's it. <laughs> 
Awesome. Well, uh, let's uh, let I'm going to hand the mic over to you. And would you be so kind to tell everyone about the Gateway Center, your role there and the mission in general? Sure, sure. So, again, thank you for the opportunity to share more information about our organization, um, the Gateway Center. Gateway Center has been operating here in the metro area since 2005. On any given night, Gateway Center provides housing for 482 individuals through our what we call our short-term residential program, but oftentimes it is referred to as a shelter. We believe that language is powerful, so we don't really refer to our organization as a shelter. We refer to our organization as a homeless service organization, and we provide a number of supports for people, starting with outreach and engaging people in the uh, those that are unsheltered in our community, where they currently are, building trust and relationship. <clears throat> the next step is getting those individuals to come to our engagement center. Our engagement center is a place where people can wash their clothes, access our clothing closet, showers, access to phones, IDs, birth certificates. From there, once we have established and built trust and some level of comfort with being in our facility, individuals can go through what we call coordinated entry. Coordinated entry is an evidence-based model that allows for people to be assessed the same way, whether if you're at Gateway or another organization utilizing a tool called the Viaspidat. This tool then gives you uh, a risk index or a level of severity of, for this person of what conditions have caused them to become homeless. <clears throat> and from there, we then begin the placement process, either in one of our 482 beds here um, at one of our two facilities or with our partner organizations that we're able to refer to for that short-term residential stay. But during that process of a short-term residential stay and from that coordinated entry um, contact, we began to start a matching process, that matching process of looking at what housing solutions or housing options are available in our city <clears throat> and at our disposal that people can be connected to. That can range from fair market housing through partnerships we have with uh, apartment communities. It could be vouchers. It could be permanent supportive housing, rapid rehousing, a number of different housing options. And what we do while they're here at our facility or in another facility, we work with people to become housing ready, getting all of their documentation together, maybe clearing up old utilities. Uh, and this process, though we would love for it to move a lot faster, takes about three to six months on average um, of identifying the housing resource, matching, becoming housing ready, and getting a person moved in. <clears throat> on average, Gateway continues to serve about 10,000 individuals per year here in the metro area. 1,200 of those individuals are being served through our residential programs annually. Of those 1,200, 50% of those individuals are able to be moved into permanent housing. And people will often ask, like, is 50% a good number? We think it is. We would love for the number to be higher. Uh, I'll speak a little bit later about some of the barriers to why that number isn't higher, but we think it's a good number, but definitely um, there are some things that I think we can do as well as ways we can partner with community differently that will create more opportunities to increase that 50% number. Also, we have pride ourselves on that of the individuals that have discharged from our program, 58% have um, left our facility with some form of income, either through employment or entitlement benefits. While they're here getting document ready, identifying housing, we have a number of wraparound supports that we provide. Since our inception in 2005, 
Gateway has always used a collective impact model. That model is a way of bringing in other resources from other providers, coupled with the resources that we provide so that there isn't overlap, but it increases access and opportunity. Gateway is providing our services and our partnerships using a guide of what we call our five keys to success. And if you were here for our opening, you would have saw that you would have seen those five keys being displayed. Those five keys, <clears throat> obviously, we're starting with housing placement and stability, or we get people into either our facility or to another facility and begin working on a housing match. We also then immediately begin working on health and wellness, getting people connected with a medical provider. And we've been blessed that on site at our facility, we have a relationship with an organization called Mercy Care that has a federally qualified health clinic at our facility where individuals can get not only medical care, but dental and behavioral health services as well. From there, we have employment partners and we offer employment services to get people job ready and then also placed into employment. And job ready is really important for us. We have a great working relationship with WorkSource Atlanta, and we have some internal programs that paired with WorkSource Atlanta has allowed us to develop curriculum for a number of sectors of work, including customer service, uh, hospitality, uh, culinary, maintenance, and a few others to get people the training that they need before we just immediately move them into a job placement opportunity. Fourth, we have community and family engagement. Each of us have benefited at some level and at some time from our connectedness with people in our village. And so we work to get our guests reconnected back in community, either through volunteering and or through connecting them back with their natural supports or family members. And our fifth key to success, and this is most critical, <clears throat> is literacy and looking at literacy from financial literacy as well as adult literacy. We have community partners from Atlanta Public Schools GED program, Literacy Action, who serve as referral sources and providers for adult literacy GED classes. And then we work with local bank institutions and some others to provide financial literacy for our guests as they are moving to transition again from being unsheltered to being housed. So again, we have a, a number of partners. We have approximately 14 partners on site, but we have a large number of wealth of partners in community that we refer and link individuals to. And we really could not do this without community and not just from a service side, but also volunteers. Gateway has approximately 5,000 volunteers per year that join us in our fight to make homelessness rare, brief, and non-recurring. And we really could not do what we do without our partnerships, including our volunteers, to have the success that we've had as we, as we continue to try to race against the increasing numbers of unsheltered individuals in our city. And I say increasing there because our point of time count, has, we've done well with overall homelessness. Our homelessness has decreased over the past five to six years by 60%. And our most recent point in time count for the city of Atlanta was roughly about 3,000 individuals at any given point in time on the street. But it's just that, it's a point in time. And we know that that can fluctuate, but during that point in time count this year, we saw an increase in the number of individuals that were unsheltered. It was a 31% increase in that number. So that just continues to show we have a lot of work to do. Gateway has tried to adapt 
and provide some additional services to begin to address that 31% increase. But it really is going to take a shared effort from not just Gateway and other service providers, but private-public private partnerships and also better engagement um, with us informing community of our needs and how they can plug into this process. Oh, that's amazing. There's some wonderful work that you all do. Mike, and I've got a lot of questions just off of all that you said there. Awesome. I want to start um, I want to start by asking the to the typical person individual that comes, do you also do is it families? Is it just individuals? Sure. So when you look at the breakdown for gateway clientele who we serve, well actually let me start with homelessness in Atlanta. I mentioned the 3000 number. And I think we have to look at that as we are having more socially conscious discussions in community, when the fact is that 53% of the population in Metro Atlanta is African-American, but 89% of that 3,000 are uh, black individuals. And then it breaks down by gender, it's predominantly men. Um, and so we have to start looking at what causes that. Uh, it's funny you ask who's coming to the door, right? I get that a lot. And oftentimes there's an assumption that people experiencing homelessness must have substance abuse issues and must have mental health issues. When in fact, just not the case. Um, we have 30% of our population are, developed, are dealing or coping with severe mental illness and 50% are dealing with substance abuse issues. The reality is any of us, if displaced for a long period of time, disconnected from resources, families and family and friends, I would suspect <laughs> that if you didn't have a mental health diagnosis or issue occurring when you were stable, when you became unstable, some of those things may begin to surface. And that's what we're dealing with. And so at Gateway, what we're trying to do is help community become better educated that ultimately we are talking about serving people and families to your question. Yes, there are families that are experiencing homelessness and we see it on our streets every day, <clears throat> but they're people first. And as we continue to try to work through the language that we use. We encourage our partners and I encourage anyone who's listening today to move away from the use of the term homeless people because homeless is their current circumstance. It's not a definition of who they are. And so we use in our realm people experiencing homelessness because right. it is experience. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Seth. No, 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 that's okay. I just want to, I want to talk a little bit more about that because that's a big thing. It's a perception that when people think homelessness, they think you're driving, uh, you're driving on 85, 75, going to the airport and you see the tent city on the, uh, you know, right by Turner field or whatever that is now. Mm -hmm. And that is, yes, that is homelessness. That is, but that's just one segment of homelessness. Homelessness also is the thousands, the hundreds of thousands of kids across the country that um, parent that are living in, in a cousin's house with a family and then go into another cousin's house or they're just getting thrown around because they don't have a permanent residence. And, Absolutely. And, uh, their parents, uh, especially now where parents are losing jobs or are not able to work and they can't, I mean, it's where we're about to even go, which is a whole other question. Uh, we'll, and we'll get there. Uh, but but that's the thing. I think homelessness is so when, when we when we talk about uh, the Gateway Center, you're not just working with the, the homelessness that that most people, the preconceived notion of homelessness, the guy that's, you know, that's half naked sleeping in a tent. You're talking about anyone that just doesn't have a permanent residence. Absolutely. When you really dig into it and if you look around you, there's a lot, as you mentioned, there's a lot of hidden homelessness, the couch surfing the staying in um, weekly hotels, 
sleeping in, their, in your car. There are just so many ways that homelessness can be masked because again, these are people, these are people who were very much integrated into community so they know how to navigate. I'll give you an easy example. <clears throat> in a lot of the Starbucks, um, as we talk about coffee, uh, you know, as you buy a cup of coffee, you get access to Wi-Fi. So for those that are seeking housing, seeking employment, trying to get back on track, a coffee shop becomes a good rest haven for them to be out of the elements, to have some level of quote unquote normalcy during their day while they're still navigating being homeless in that night, having no one, nowhere to stay. And so we don't think about those individuals. And sometimes we're so busy with our own endeavors that we don't stop to have maybe as many conversations as we would with people that might be going through something or those that are obviously going through something. Again, I encourage the viewers to take the time. If you're on your way home, as you mentioned, the drive to the airport, but if you're in your local community and you pass the same person every day or you see them frequently that they're experiencing homelessness, stop and have a conversation, get their name. You will be amazed at what you may learn about how that person arrived there, that these are people that have um, just need a hand up, not a handout. The jobs have closed down. They try to maintain after maybe becoming ill and not having leave time that some of us have the benefit of having. And that lost hour turns, turns into lost wage and lost revenue into that household where they can't sustain themselves over time. We have to talk about the increasing rent in our city. Uh, you may have had the same job, but the rent has gone up and if the wage hasn't increased to, to match the rental increases that we're seeing across the metro area, then that is causing displacement of people um, with their housing. When we look at where the employment centers are, I'll use Buckhead just as an example. There are a number of nice hotels, restaurants, shopping, great places, however, the people who work in those establishments can't live anywhere in proximity to that job. And as we know, we have a transit, um, we, we have a, a transit system that could use some improvement. And that's just a fact as far as the way it connects, but that's also a cost and it's also time that it takes to go from A and B here in Atlanta can be very challenging using our current rail or bus system. So when you or even buy a car for that matter, I mean <laughs> even in a car. <laughs> exactly. And let's not add in, um, and you mentioned, I'm glad you brought this up, about our families, someone who's parenting one or two kids and they're going to different schools and managing childcare, but you're trying to manage all this using public transportation. And it's just a number of different things that have influenced or caused people to arrive at a condition of homelessness. It's not always just, like you said, the person with the, with the truly, truly severe mental illness that you see. That, those are the easy, that's, that's easy to see and they need help as well. There are things we need to do to provide more community supports for people to live independently and not in institutions. Um, and we're doing some of that, but there is obviously room for improvement so that these people don't sabotage their housing or become displaced in the housing that's been provided due to mental illness or even substance use. That makes a lot of sense, but then, then here we're in this situation where maybe people are getting the help right now from the government. They're not getting kicked out because you know no one's getting evicted right now, thank God. And we you, we're in this standstill. But 
you and I know that it there is a band-aid right now, but that band-aid is going to get ripped off. And we are going to experience, we, we potentially are going to experience uh, a wave of homelessness that's, uh, or people w without jobs that can't afford their rent, that are getting evicted, that are, don't, it's just a, it, it's a domino effect. And, and uh, quite frankly, just on my perspective, I'm, I'm worried about that. Is that something you all are worried about? Uh, this, again, this is all from the COVID and all. No, absolutely. And it's one of the pivots we had to make over the past uh, seven or eight months. So <clears throat> luckily, we were funded by the United Way of uh, Metro of Greater Atlanta, as well as City of Atlanta, along with 25 other organizations to provide emergency rental assistance. This program has been increased. It was a $3,000 max limit, but now there's a $5,000 um, opportunity for people who have been impacted by COVID-19 uh, financially to receive emergency assistance for uh, rental assistance, utilities, as well as security deposits. This information can be accessed by just going to United Way 211 and you can begin the process online and you can request for Gateway to be your organization to assist you. This is a huge, huge, huge opportunity. It's, um, we've tried to make the process as easy as possible to access, but we need to get the word out to people in the apartment communities. And we also need to um, support our community. There's a lot of pride for people who have never had to receive any level of assistance prior. And oftentimes that pride can keep them from wanting to access these types of programs because also we have our biases about who these programs are for. And the reality is for anybody in need, uh, I forget the exact stat, but it's roughly um, 60 to 70% of Americans are one check away um, from an economic crisis if that check was removed. And so Absolutely. this pandemic, has caused that. We see it happening. You said it best, Seth. It is a Band-Aid. It is not healing the problem. And once that Band-Aid is removed, we are highly concerned about the influx of people for the first time experiencing homelessness. And the best way to prevent homelessness is to keep people in the housing that they have. Recognizing, one, it'd be hard to find housing at that rental rate more than likely. And that unit may not stay affordable if it's currently an affordable unit right now the one check thing though right this is this gets me all the time because when i talk to folks and that that work with homelessness it's <laughs> you can you know once you, you if you if you are homeless and you can get a little help and you can get a bed to sleep in and you can you you can get the job training that that you're providing, which is amazing, and and now you go get get that job, but then you still have to have time to to get the degree, or you still have to whatever it is. You no matter what, what it is, you still have the hurdle of getting that first check. And most places need a deposit, so not only do you need to get caught up, but you got to get ahead because you got to get two steps ahead. You got to get the step ahead to be able to make the deposit and get you know all that going, but then you got to get another step ahead to have that backup, which you just said, and so. I feel like that's just got to be such a challenge, especially looking at what what the tidal wave that's coming. Absolutely. It's a challenge. But I'll be honest with you, we have a resilient group of people that we are have been had the pleasure of serving here at Gateway. And again, given the opportunity. So one unique thing about Gateway, <clears throat> we operate completely on gifts that we receive from community donations, as well as grants. Uh, from local foundations, family and corporate foundations, and some federal and state grants. We do not charge our guests for a stay here. 
So uh-huh. what we try to do in that wait period, as I mentioned, three to six months, get you employed so you can begin to save. That's why I mentioned the financial literacy classes is, is so critical to the success, long-term success of our guests, because we are talking about, in some cases, people who hadn't received uh, the knowledge of how to budget or just didn't budget well for whatever the reason. And we all have done that. You get this new influx of cash and you sometimes you support your wants versus your needs, right? And planning for the future isn't always what we are all thinking about, that that long-term right. thinking. We, we feel a responsibility to our guests to encourage them and provide the resources to help them start thinking long-term and understanding the power of money and how do you really um, close the wealth gap and having economic mobility by understanding money, not just from an earning standpoint, but how do you save? And in some cases, how do you invest? Uh, them actually set up their savings accounts and, and build their budgets and that sort of stuff so that by the time they're done with the program, they've already got this nut to, to work with. Exactly. And working with the banking institutions that we work with, mm-hmm. it, it builds a level of trust that these are people who have been unbanked for years. They become banked. They start learning of the other programs and resources that these banks offer. And so you're basically getting free financial uh, and wealth counseling through these financial literacy classes. And it's it's proven to be a success. It's, it's proven to be something that is welcomed by our guests that they are very excited to have that we're able to offer. And you mentioned the 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 folks that are that are homeless that are living at the uh, you know the day uh, the week rate hotels and uh, often folks wonder well those are like five hundred dollars a week that's two thousand dollars a month why can't they just pay rent and the reality is they could pay rent but they can't get the deposit in so that kind of all ties together so a program like yours gives them that uh, gives them a chance to catch their breath if you will absolutely and reality is a number of things happen in that scenario. One is not sustainable for a long period of time. Two, oftentimes they are using the hotel as a housing option because because of previous rental history or potentially even background issues, there are challenges in getting housing. And we have to work through that. Um, We definitely have some great community, apartment community partners, but there is also the opportunity to provide education and support about why these guests can still be productive in their apartment communities and would be um, an asset to them and not holding against people things that may have occurred 10 and 15 years ago. We have to figure out a work the way to work through that. But oftentimes, Seth, the individuals in the, in the hotels, they aren't able to sustain it on their own over time. There are a lot of things happening in the background from organizations that are actually working with them to keep them stably housed at the um, weekly hotel um, through providing some level of supplement or resources to offset their lack of resources until they can find an affordable unit. Um, So it's not always as easy as people think that these people are just coming with their own resources and staying at these weekly hotels. It's usually short term and there's oftentimes another um, organization church or organization that's helping them in the background and or family uh, members helping. Right. So it's not ideal. 
No, not at all. Now you met, I'm curious, do you, do you work, uh, do you partner with the Atlanta community food bank or, um, and then I also think of like goodwill and their, um, education centers and this sort of stuff. Do you work together with these organizations at all? Yeah. So we do work with um, Atlanta community food bank. So we have a full service kitchen at both of our facilities and we actually benefit with getting some cost savings on purchasing food by ordering some of the, uh, food and produce that we give to our guests or prepare for our guests through the Atlanta Community Food Bank. The Community Food Bank also provides a number of trainings um, for organizations and individuals that either our uh, culinary or food operation team will participate in or that we try to link students that have completed our culinary training. So they have been a great partner um, to work with and a great resource to this community for a number of years. And we're really excited to have that relationship with Goodwill is another resource. Um, again, we have job training, but there's some job training um, that Goodwill offers that location-wise or also just being out of the building, right? It's good to not always do everything in one place. And so we're able to refer individuals to Goodwill, definitely to the Goodwill stores as individuals are, as you mentioned, saving income, but needing to have um, uh, new wares, new clothes um, for showing up to work or just feeling better about themselves. There's nothing like buying yourself something, right? And so it provides an affordable uh, option uh, for people to purchase items for themselves, as well as definitely a great resource for additional job training. If anyone that's uh, listening or watching, uh, please, uh, I encourage you to go to gatewayctr.org. And when you're there, of course, make a donation uh, and, and, Check out all the information on their site. There's a, it's a really good website. You just had a fundraiser um, that went virtual. I believe you did a virtual auction. Um, how did that go for you? And and what were some of the challenges maybe you faced? Uh, and how did you overcome them? Absolutely. So I always like to say that we challenges are opportunities, right? <laughs> and so like everyone else, we had to adapt to this virtual world. And it actually went very well. Um, we moved our event that was traditionally in November to September. And we made plans recognizing that not having people in the room uh, from a, a revenue standpoint would not generate the same level of revenue. But we wanted people to have a great experience. And it came together well. Our resource development team, along with um, some of our contracted partners, and I'll definitely have to give a big shout out to Georgia Pacific, for allowing us to utilize their on-site studio. That really helped with the, the, the technology, the tech side of things and making sure things ran very smoothly. Um, our auctioneer, along with <clears throat> our host for the evening, did an exceptional job. And then our, our uh, ongoing partnership, our event is normally held at White Oak Kitchen and Cocktails. And of course, we couldn't have it there this year, but they still stood by us. Um, this year and supported this event and allowed for us to have some great uh, takeaways for our participants, as well as still financially supporting us to help us um, actually uh, reach our goal and and exceed it. Um, We set a goal for about $230,000 for the event, which is about half of what we would uh, traditionally have expected. And we raised $270,000, this $275,000 year. That's fantastic. Yeah, very. I think again, turning uh, lemons into lemonade. Um, the pandemic has created more time where people are at home, so we had oh, yeah. more 
people engage um, from not only locally, but nationally. We were able to get out of state um, participation, mm-hmm. which uh, in-person event doesn't allow for that. Um, and we also, our cause, I think people have uh, slowed down enough to start paying attention to people experiencing homelessness on their travel or in their neighborhood and wanting to know more. And it's pro- it provided us an opportunity to not just talk about homelessness, but how um, as a community, Atlanta has been working diligently to try to address our issue and, our, and actually doing better than a lot of other cities. Not to toot our horn and say that we're at a level of excellence, but we're definitely heading in the right direction. Well, I I try to uh, with my seven year old son try to teach him about homelessness by when we go on the whenever we whenever we're in the car uh, if we're going for a hike or whatever if we're going on, if we're going by the highway I know there's a chance so we'll always grab a couple snacks like uh, some fruit you know and, and whatnot and so instead of just just uh, you know giving someone money I try to always we try to always have a little snack to to hand out and um and so when we pull up on the side of the highway and someone's mm-hmm. out there asking for something my son loves to give them the an orange or an apple a banana something like that you know that's awesome um, love to have you and your son or anyone listening to um, this broadcast to come out and volunteer and you can work in our clothing closet again it's a lot of fun helping people pick out clothes. And beyond picking out clothes, you're making a connection, having a conversation, mm-hmm. seeing that person. It's so important to be seen. We all like to be acknowledged. And oftentimes right. people experiencing homelessness in our city are ignored or we turn our heads because we don't, we're not sure what's going to happen or what they're going to say. So in that moment, to be seen and heard is so priceless. And it's part of the process of healing. And so our yeah. volunteers and people coming in, helping to, again, serve meals or work in our clothing closet, um, job skill training, whatever. is, And that's all happening during COVID still? You still are utilizing volunteers in that capacity? We are. We are. So uh, being a 24-7 facility, we have not closed. (laughs) And it's um, getting colder, so I imagine the demand's going to be up. Yeah, we had to make some adaptation and tailoring to how we deliver services. Um, We incorporated, obviously, the use of PPE, some scheduled um, changes to not have as many people in the building. But we have recently, as of October 1, um, begun having volunteers back on site. Um, No more than 10 uh, for groups, no groups larger than 10. Um, There still are some limitations because we want to make sure we're maintaining safety for the volunteers, our guests, and our staff. But yeah, we've been able to have volunteers. But I tell you, Seth, the volunteers got really creative um, during this pandemic and have done drives at the, within their family, clothing drives, and then just done the no-contact no drop-offs. That's been very helpful. Um, we had a great relationship with the schools at Westminster that their food operations team, while school was out, was preparing meals for one of our sites, um, dinner every day, Monday through Friday, as their way of volunteering and giving back to us. So there have been a lot of unique things uh, folks have ordered items through Amazon and just had them directly delivered for our guests to utilize. So there are ways that we have, again, had to be innovative to create a no contact um, scenario, but not do away with the resource reaching the people most in need. Wow. Uh, very impressive. Uh, gatewayctr.org, please. I encourage you to visit and volunteer and I, I will take you up on that. My son and I will be at something sometime in the future. 
For sure. Um, is there anything else you want to share before we uh, close things down here? Just like to share that again, thank you for this opportunity. Um, we are always available to answer questions um, through our website. You can submit comments or questions there. Uh, again, volunteers, donations, time, talent, and treasures. That's what we're uh, uh, looking for and that we need, but more importantly, to develop partnerships that help people become stably housed and whole again. And so thank you for this opportunity. Uh, I can't say, can't say thank you enough. Oh, no, thank you. Um, one last thing uh, before, we, we, before we go here. I always end by asking my guests to recommend a future guest, a nonprofit, uh, Atlanta nonprofit organization, uh, someone that's an innovator. Um, and so is there an innovator you'd like to recommend for Coffee Connections? There is, and she's going to kill me, but thank me at the same time. <laughs> uh, the executive director here for the local Posse Foundation, Zenith Houston, is who I would recommend for the next Coffee Connection. All right. Well, thank you so much. I look forward to an email connection there. And um, uh, folks, we'll be back on Tuesday. Um, I don't have my calendar up, so I'm not going to tell you who it is. This is a surprise for you. But come Tuesday, <laughs> we'll see you at the same time. Um, thank you so much for your, the work that you do. And again, go to gatewayctr.org, everyone. Uh, Till next time, this has been Coffee Connections.